HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal, helping you enjoy your fruits and vegetables at peak freshness and reduce food waste. Learn more at appeal.com. The current coronavirus pandemic has people staying at home and seeking comfort by cooking way more than usual. (laughs) What are we cooking? We're cooking comfort food. Meatloaf, stews, macaroni and cheese, grilled cheese, and a big exclamation point, pizza. (laughs) And don't forget the home-baked sweets, chocolate chip cookies, cakes, banana bread, buttermilk pie. And home-baked bread. Oh, so much bread. But then there were the not-so-common, like kanji, couscous, quesadillas, Vietnamese pho, ramen, biryani, spaghetti carbonara. Historically, people turned to these familiar dishes in a time of crisis and uncertainty. And that's where we are, right? That's Linda Palaccio giving us a quick taste of the endless possibilities that comfort food has to offer. You'll hear more from her in our first story, taken from HRN's A Taste of the Past. After an unprecedented election week in the U.S., we can all use a little bit of comfort, soothing, and nourishment. Today's episode will take us across the globe as we explore the myriad ways different cultures interpret the idea of comfort food in a series of excerpts from a selection of HRN shows. We start with a taste of the past as Linda chats with the author of a book on the meaning and history of comfort food. Then we travel to Denmark to learn how we can fit a little bit of comfort into our meals and lives every day. We sample different chicken soup recipes from around the world. And finally, we learn about a dish that has the potential to upstage ramen as your go-to Japanese comfort food. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and three. Meat and three. Meat and three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and three. What exactly is comfort food? It means something different to everyone we ask. We turn to Linda Palaccio on episode 350 of A Taste of the Past for more. If you tune in to any social media sites or log on to your favorite cooking recipe pages these days, you know it's all about comfort food. My guest today, Lucy Long, has studied the many meanings of comfort food. And in fact, in 2017, she co-edited a book with Michael Owen Jones called Exactly That, Comfort Food. 
Meanings and Memories. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you. You know, your co-editor of the book, Michael Owen Jones, called comfort food the culinary equivalent of a big hug. And all of this discussion and study of comfort food raises the question about the concept and nature of food itself. And of course, begs the philosophical question, shouldn't all food comfort? You mentioned the first written documentation of the term comfort yes. food. You want to tell us about that? It was surprising to me. Yes. In 1966, Dr. Joyce Brothers was writing in her column that the idea of comfort food tended to be associated with obesity and that people were using the idea that they needed comfort as an excuse to eat things that were then fattening. Americans have a very distinctive relationship with food. It's, it's very conflicted, as they like to say. We need it for nutritional purposes, obviously, you know, but there's a certain amount of morality that is attached to food. We tend to talk about, oh, I was bad. I ate potato chips <laughs> or uh, I'm going to sneak in and, and have this dessert. You know, don't, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, so there's this morality about we have good food and bad food. And a lot of that goes back to some of the philosophical foundations of American culture in which there's a suspicion of sensual and physical pleasures. There tends to be a suspicion historically of that. The, the phrase comfort food does seem to be an American one, but the idea of food being used for healing is a very, a very, very old idea mm. in very in, in many ancient cultures. You know, so so the idea that, that food can heal you physically, but also spiritually and emotionally, that is very similar to our concept of comfort food. There's a fascinating article by a medical sociologist named Julie Locker. Locker, mm, I'm not yes. sure exactly how to pronounce mm -hmm. her name. So she talks about comfort foods as foods that relieve stress that there are four categories of needs that are expressed through comfort food. See, she labels those nostalgia, indulgence. We all need to feel sometimes like we can just do something for pleasure, <laughs> right? <laughs> Convenience and physical satisfaction. Hmm. You know, so, so she offers those four different categories of comfort foods. I kind of added the category of connectedness connections. We all need to feel a sense of connection, connection to our past, our place, or to other people. And part of what food does for us is it offers, offers that sense of connection. So it's not surprising at all that at a time when people are physically isolated, and there's a lot of stress, very real stress about economics and, and health and politics, and just the people are very worried about their own lives. It's not surprising at all that food that is something that gives us these connections on an everyday basis, but we frequently are not aware of them. So making cookies that you got the recipe from your, your grandmother, that gives you that connection to the past. You know, when we say that nostalgia is a category of comfort food, nostalgia does not necessarily mean childhood. We do tend to think of that and like nursery foods and things, you know, but nostalgia can be kind of a, an affectionate longing for any time in the past. 
Those times are frequently romanticized. They're in the past. <laughs> so, so now we can look back and see the good things about them. You know, so, so somebody, somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house or something that they would have at their grandmother's, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. Every single one of us has our own life histories. Every single one of us has our own relationships and histories with food. So everyone's going to have different memories, different emotions being evoked by different foods. So at a time like this, when we suddenly feel like we have no control over what is happening, that nature is taking things back. <laughs> so as, as humans, I think we really need to have that sense of connection. I think that's a, a very positive way to look at it. And I think if, if baking a loaf of bread does it for you, then I say, go out and bake some bread. And Lucy... Go have a bowl of grits, I think. (laughs) Go ahead, treat yourself. Whip up some mashed potatoes and check out more of A Taste of the Past wherever you listen to podcasts. Sometimes comfort isn't just about the food, but also your environment. We turn now to Eat Your Words host Kathy Irway and Danish chef and food writer Trina Hanneman for a quick dive into the Danish concept of hygge, spelled H-Y-G-G-E. It's actually been a little bit buzzy lately. I've been seeing it uh, come up in articles here and there, especially now that it's the winter time. So... Uh, as I understand it, huga is a sense, if you can be really uh, concise, it's a sort of sense of coziness, but it's a bit more than that, right? Yeah, I mean, you... first of all, the word is embedded in our culture in a different way. We use the word all the time. We just don't, we, oh, huga is the thing, but we use the word hygli. Hygli, For yeah. a lot of things that we, hygli, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, a, for a lot of things that we do. So we describe a lot of things during the day or every day as being hygli or not mm-hmm. being hygli. So in a way, way it's, all, it's a way of really defining our culture. Um, and we are a nation of people, or especially in Denmark, which is where it is used the most in that sense, um, who loves to hang out at home mm-hmm. and have a hygli, which, of course, also incorporates a lot of food and drinks, mm-hmm. both hot and cold and alcohol. So it's more than an idea, and I think it's a bit more than coziness. But all cultures yeah. kind of have it. We just we just have it a lot, if you know. I mean, we do. We the way Danes really like if you can create moments of hygge every day. Mm-hmm. Also, in, it, it's not only a Sunday thing. Let's you know you know postpone the whole thing until Sunday. So it, to kind of nail it down, it's about creating these little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present, where you sit down and have that cup of coffee with a good friend or with a bunch of uh, old friends or family or just by yourself with the newspaper and you, you know, make sure to lit the candles and make, you know, make the atmosphere just a little bit more special. Mm-hmm. And I, I lament how un-New York okay, seems to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm, yeah. I'm trying yeah, here. I mean, it, and, yeah. 
thinking about sitting around a table with everybody has their iPhone in their hand, looking at it while they're talking and having a drink, that is not fugue. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's like the opposite of that. Here at HRN, we encourage all of you to find small moments of Huga in these times of social distance and political exhaustion. Light a candle, wear your favorite sweater, sip that perfect cup of tea. To learn more about Huga, listen to Eat Your Words, episode 294. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a short break. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Here at HRN, we care about reducing waste across our food system, from farms to home kitchens. We know that about half of the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruits and vegetables. Because here's the thing, less waste doesn't just mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Appeal works with nature to reduce waste across the food system from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing needs. Appeal. Food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. If you're craving a bit of extra comfort right now but don't know where to look, try heading to the kitchen for a warm bowl of chicken soup. The savory broth, hearty protein, and rich vegetables of chicken soup are always guaranteed to lift your spirits and satisfy your cravings. With different takes on the staple dish appearing all across the world, Chicken soup can also play an integral role in teaching us about other cultures and traditions. Made with local spices and unique cooking techniques that have been passed down for generations, it is fair to say that chicken soup is a near-universal comfort food. Chicken soup is known the world over for its accessibility, adaptability, and affordable deliciousness requiring little more than a chicken and some water. Just saying the words makes me think about getting a whole chicken, seeing what we have in the fridge, and making a comforting bowl for dinner. That's Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears, right here on HRN. For episode 189, Harry spoke with Jen Lewis, author of The Chicken Soup Manifesto. For Jen, inspiration came when a bowl of warm soup was waiting at her doorstep after a long day of travel. I was actually on my way home from a charity event in San Diego, and I just got sick, like just like the worst fluish cold. I was so uncomfortable. And I was texting with my sister who lives locally. And I told her how sick I was. And I came home and there was a pot of chicken soup on my porch and it was still warm. And I came in and I was so miserable. And I got in my house and I ate three bowls like immediately. And it made me feel better, not better, better, but like it lifted a lot of what wasn't right. The Chicken Soup Manifesto is a cookbook exploring the whys and hows of making great chicken soup. With a number of recipes gathered from friends and family across the world, Jen shows readers how one humble dish can bring you loads of comfort. There's no right or wrong. It's, it's chicken soup. You know, it's, it's, it's that thing. It's, it's so flexible and it's so fun. Looking at, at Asia, how there's so much rice 
chicken soups and looking at Italy and around Italy, there's pasta and all the soups. And then if you go up further north, potato, and even in, in the Scandinavian countries, you see apple and leeks. And it just, it's so cool how there's so many flavors and they're so, so different. And it was a really fun way to um, learn some geography because there's chicken soups in all these little places that hopefully I'll get to one day, but it's fun to kind of look at everything, you know, as I progress where it is and how it's been influenced. For Jen, the standout chicken soup recipe comes from Turkey. Basically, it is a chicken broth soup with chickpeas and uh, basmati rice. It's thickened with a little bit of flour and yogurt. So it has a little bit of that rich sourness. And it also has some little vermicelli noodles. And then you make this like spicy butter that you melt over the top and it has mint. It's outstanding. As soothing as chicken soup can be, Jen found that especially right now, it is also a great way to step outside your comfort zone. I also just think right now is a really good time to shake it up a little bit and make a different chicken soup than you know. Start learning about a culture that you don't know much about. You know, our our country is asking for that right now. And whether you're Jewish or not Jewish or have an association with chicken soup in a different way, uh, this is a really, really great time to just learn about different cultures, what they eat and why, and just enjoy part of that in your own home. Lastly, Jen reminds us that the health benefits of chicken soup go beyond just folklore. The thing is, it's nutritious. You watch these soups, you know, the addition of an egg. Um, it's just how do you put nutrition in? You know, how do you make this a flavorful and a nutritious soup? You know, they're, they're very healthy. If you're still hungry for more, you can listen to Jen's full interview on episode 189 of Feast Your Ears, wherever you listen to podcasts. And a link to the Chicken Soup Manifesto can be found in the show notes. Whether you're a college kid on a ramen noodle every night budget or a soup lover, you've probably turned to ramen as a comfort food many times. But have you ever heard of donburi? In Japan, donburi is as much a household name as ramen. In episode 200 of Japan Eats, Host Akiko Katayama speaks with food writer and Japanese cooking instructor Elizabeth Ando about the popular Japanese dish. So what exactly is donburi? Donburi, the word really refers to two things. It's the food, something usually cooked food on top of already cooked rice. And it's also the word for the bowl in which that food is served. The name of Dombri is often thought to be a contraction of two words. Uh, the name of a restaurant that first served it that way called uh, Kendonia, and the container in which they served it was a Budibachi. And so Don and Budi got together and became Dombri. Uh, another is that it sounds like something, uh, it looks like the character with the calligraphy with which it's written. Dombri has a long history. The original was around right. uh, the 15th century, yes. and then the first dish was, it's, it's like a basic mixture of rice and vegetables and dashi on rice. Right. So, yeah, that's probably the original form. And uh, so one thing I found is that during the Edo period, which was from the 17th to 19th century, donburi right. became widely popular. 
And Edo is the old name of Tokyo. And Edo citizens were similar to, I would say, New Yorkers. And like we have a New York Minute, they had an Edo Minute. So they wanted <laughs> to eat good food fast. And that's、right. how sushi was born, also.、Yeah. And、uh, so, with the same mindset, they popularized the quick and easy donburi dishes. So, two, two dishes in one rice and toppings. Because it doesn't require terribly skilled labor and it doesn't have to use、um, you know, top ingredients,、um, it didn't have to be expensive. And I think that that was probably another factor in the popularization of Dombori. Other than its affordability and simplicity, Dombori is popular because of its versatility. There are many types of Dombori, each version catering to a variety of topping preferences. For example, gyudon incorporates beef, while tendon includes tempura on top of the rice. Lately, donbori has been garnering more attention in the States, where people are putting their own spins on the dish. Although, in some cases, they've also renamed it. Martha Stewart is the one who claims ganso on that one. Ganso means pioneer in Japanese. She had a book called Meatless,、uh, published in 2013. And in it, she used that term, Buddha bowl. Whether she really had been influenced by anything related to Buddhist、um, thinking is, I don't know. I, I've not spoken to her about it, and I, I can't say for sure. But it is true that Buddhist monks would walk around with a bowl in the community, and people would put food in it. And that was often what they ate. And、uh, the idea that、uh, it was a selection of tidbits that would land up into the bowl, I don't know, it was called the Buddha bowl. And that term certainly took hold. And particularly among vegan and vegetarian, the notion that you didn't have to have、uh, meat on top of it, that there were various different kinds of grains, not always rice. And as a matter of fact, many of the sort of the big bowls that are popular、um, now in America are not necessarily rice at the bottom. There are other kinds of、uh, mixed grains、um, that are being topped with other foods. If you're looking to brush up on Japanese food history or are curious about which types of donbori you'd like to eat first, check out the full episode of Japan Eats. The link will be in our show notes. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks this week to Armin Spengen, Emily Kunkel, Caroline Fox, and Karina Andreatos. Meat and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Kat Johnson, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Katie Mosman Wadler. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetandthree.nyc. That's all spelled out. <laughs>